Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. Starting today, world governments are making a last-ditch effort to save a historic agreement that supports victims of climate disasters. See, this agreement was made at last year's United Nations Climate Talks, and it created something called a Loss and Damage Fund. That's UN jargon for a pot of money to pay for the social and economic costs of climate change. And the problem is that the actual key details haven't been worked out. So today, we chat with Sarah Schoenhart from Politico's e News about what this fight is really about and why getting it done before COP28 is so important. It's Friday, November 3rd. Nearly a year ago at Global Climate Talks in Egypt, countries agreed to establish a fund to help climate vulnerable countries respond to what's known as loss and damage. And that's basically the often unavoidable social and economic costs of escalating climate impacts like storms, heat, rising seas. So as part of that agreement, a committee of 24 negotiators from both developed and developing countries was set up. And they were given the task of hammering out how the fund would be created. They've met several times throughout the course of this year to discuss issues such as where the fund would be located, which countries would be eligible to receive money, and who would contribute. Got it. Okay. And these last round of talks that are starting today come after several rounds of failed meetings. Could you walk us through some of the biggest issues that remain unsolved? Yeah, so most of the previous meetings were sort of technical meetings where negotiators debated a lot of questions that would influence the recommendations they would put together for the structure of this fund. The last meeting occurred in sort of mid to late October, and it was really the most contentious. And a lot of the reason for that is because they were finally starting to negotiate the recommendations they'll deliver to country negotiators at these upcoming climate talks. Big issues are really around those things I listed earlier. So the location, the contributors, and sort of beneficiaries. And some of the recommendations that are the most tense are around location because the developed countries want the World Bank to host the fund, which raises concern among developing countries that they will have difficulty accessing that money. There are a number of other challenges that are involved with the World Bank as host. And then developing countries would also like a guarantee that developed countries will commit some money to the fund so that there's a guarantee of finance to be delivered once the fund is up and running. And that's a point they haven't been able to agree on. Interesting. Okay. And it seems like essentially many of these issues have the United States on one side and other wealthy countries on one side, and then developing countries on the other side. And for the U.S., it seems like one sticking point is liability. Can you explain a bit more the liability issue that the U.S. is concerned about? Yeah, this is where things get sort of wonky and tricky. But at the heart of this issue is the fact that these climate damages are happening because countries have really dragged their feet for too long and not done enough to limit the fossil fuels and other planet warming pollution that's driving global warming. So most of those emissions are coming from countries that have been putting those greenhouse gases into the atmosphere the longest. They're sort of 
so-called historical emitters. And developing countries, in the U.S. probably the most strongly, are really worried about being held legally responsible for creating that climate pollution. So they've long resisted getting into this conversation about liability and compensation, and in fact, have fought to include language in documents like the Paris Agreement that really underline that climate finance is not about liability or compensation. And so for the U.S., this is a non-starter. And there's a feeling this has been said already, and revisiting the issue would really require renegotiating past agreements. Developing countries, I think, are overwhelmingly feeling just exceedingly frustrated that despite these agreements, rich countries haven't lived up to their promises to provide money and support to help them deal with and respond to the impacts of climate change. So the question is, why should they uphold their end of the bargain? It might be a negotiating tactic, but I think it really underlines a lack of trust and the frustrations countries are feeling as they're increasingly squeezed around having to deal with these climate extremes and have fewer sort of static resources with which to do so. So what is the mood heading into these final talks? You report that if there's no deal, it could derail the upcoming United Nations climate talks that are happening at the end of this month. So I'm wondering if you could lay out what exactly the tangible consequences of not reaching that deal is and why is it so critical to get this resolved ahead of COP? Yeah, I think often these negotiations, a lot of it really comes back to money or money plays a really important part in the negotiating process. It often sort of ends up being a proxy for how much progress can happen in other areas. And it just makes cooperation that much harder if countries feel like they're not provided with a guarantee of finance or support to make commitments toward things like transitioning from fossil fuels to clean energy. So I think there are concerns that a collapse of loss and damage negotiations could really dissolve any effort to cooperate on things like talk about a phasing out of fossil fuels or the global stock take, which is this effort to respond to the fact that countries haven't done enough to curb climate change's impacts. I think there's also concerns it could become a bargaining chip for negotiations on those other issues. And there were some indications that happened a bit last year where developing countries had pushed so hard for an agreement on this loss and damage fund that they sort of conceded the ability to have greater influence over progress on things like a fossil fuel phase out. So I think it really bleeds into all these other areas of the negotiations in the way that if they can't achieve progress here, it'll be much harder to achieve progress in other places. Also, a trio of Republicans led by Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy introduced legislation on Thursday that would impose a fee on products imported from high greenhouse gas emitting countries. The bill was shared exclusively with Politico, and it represents the first GOP-led proposal to inject climate change policy into U.S. trade rules through so-called carbon adjustment fees. The legislation aims at protecting U.S. manufacturers from competition from China and other countries with lax environmental standards. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Normal Malichael is the podcast producer. 
Kara Tabor and Alex Keeney edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. And that's our show. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.